Welcome back to the Infinite Creators Podcast. A man by the name of Orn Coyle is on this week. Orn works in financial wealth management and it's kind of a conversation that I was a little unsure about, you know, because, you know, I don't want to be talking about money, but then I'm like, money also is something that we need to live in this, like in this world. And a lot of people struggle with it. And I thought it would be worth having a conversation to give people an insight to how they can become financially secure, stable, how they can put their money into investments where their money's working for them, as opposed to always living week to week. And you don't have to be earning loads of money. Like, and we're going to just go through a few different examples of, you know, earning low income, if you want to call it for better words, or the average income. And given examples of how you can put your money into a saving for a property and or um, you know investing or whatever it is, and um, I really feel that that's that's an important topic. And so, I hope you enjoy the conversation. And if you are, please press subscribe, and you'll get all the notifications for each release. Enjoy, Oren Coyle. Welcome to the Infinite Creators Podcast. How's things with you? Cheers, Ryan. Uh, things are great, actually. Friday, yeah. another another weekend coming up. Um, how's your week going? Week went well, right? I'm just back from my holidays, stuck back into work, um, tidying a few things up as usual. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to mm-hmm. seeing out the year on a on a high. What about yourself? I uh, just coming through the summer, although we didn't have much of it, and and just enjoying being busy, enjoying being busy, but also. Um, just trying to stay balanced as well, you know. <laughs> Sometimes I try to do a lot, you know, when I don't need to, but look, enjoying it too. Enjoying enjoying being Good. creative. But um I'm really interested in having this conversation with you today and you know, talking about money, wealth, abundance, mm-hmm. and something that you've really gone down the road of and mm-hmm. trying to help others, you know. Um but before we get to talking about like how you help people, you know, mm-hmm. become financially secure, stable, um, wealthy, abundant. I want to start by asking, like, where did it all start for you? You know, where, when was it that, that you're younger that I suppose that you wanted to say, look, you know, I want to be abundant and I want to be wealthy and I want to be secure, you know? Um, I suppose dialing it or, or trying to nail that down to one thing is quite hard. I suppose environments become you know, a major part in that. And I suppose whenever I was younger, I definitely had a sense that I always had a big vision or big, you know, the space around me was big instead of small and I had a big mind and an open mind. And I suppose whenever I was younger, coming back to that, you know, I always had a feeling that I wanted to do something um, that involved money, which sounds superficial, but in some ways it always intrigued me. Um, and in a sense that, you know, with power comes freedom, with freedom comes choices and flexibility and, and less stress and all those sorts of things. And obviously, uh, you know, as a child, I wasn't a child at that point. That was, you know, sort of creeping into my teenage years. Um, and actually coming to me now specifically, I remember there was one person in our school who was a careers teacher and he was very um, ruthless in the way that he thought about things. And I remember he was a careers teacher, but he also taught us biology and one day we were in class, I think it was fourth year, so that's what, 15, 14, 15, and, he, and somebody was messing around, and he said to them, you know, if you don't stop messing around in this classroom, you're not going to get the grade that you need in this class, 
you're not going to get into the university that you want to get into and you're not going to be able to do X, Y and Z with your life. And that started to really ping, you know, like the spidey senses went mm. off. And I thought, you know, when it comes to things like this, you have to be thinking about it early and you have to immerse yourself in it in some way or form. And so from whenever I was about 14 or 15, that's that's when this all started. And, and, and as, as I say, environments, you know, played a part in that. And I was always taught that have an open mind and think big mm-hmm. because thinking small, you know, isn't going to get you anywhere. And in a sense, they think big, think bigger and bigger and bigger. But if you think much bigger than you're thinking now, then even if you fall short of that, you're going to end up somewhere, all right? Yeah, Are yeah, you with me? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, at that point then, I started to, you know, get those feelings about money and watching things to do with banking and investing and all these types of things. And that's what sort of propelled me <coughs> into thinking about that more. Um, and obviously, you know, coming from a good environment and a comfortable environment where I was always supported, that's where it all started. Yeah. And did you go to college and the study that or what did well, it lead to? Um, in terms of what I ended up yeah. delving into. Um, so obviously I was at school through sixth form and then I originally I actually wanted to go to Belfast to do a degree in accountancy or, or banking or something. Or finance it actually was at the time, um, excuse me. But you know, through that period of time, um, I decided to go to England. So I applied for universities all around England. And at the time, my my older brother, one of my brothers, was in Liverpool. And so I decided, you know, from a comfort aspect, just from going away and experiencing new things, that it would be good good to go to England. And so I'd done an undergraduate degree in accountancy with business management, which was sort of a very broad bachelor of arts. It wasn't even a bachelor of science, so it was quite practical. Um, and by the time I came out of that, we had sort of, you know, exemptions to become like part qualified accountants per se. And when I finished that degree, I decided that I wasn't ready to be an accountant or nor did I want to be one, to be honest with you. And so I thought, what's the next step? And at the time, you know, when you're young and you think, well, I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to bag, you know, the unicorn jobs, as I like to call them, the best job out there. And I'll be laughing for the rest of my life, which... Unfortunately for a lot of people, it's just not the case, and I was the same. And so I decided, what can I do that will you know, help differentiate me from other candidates who are going for certain types of jobs if I ever had to compete with them, which ultimately I never had to, just because of the way my career panned out. But I ended up doing a master's degree in risk analysis and investment management at Queen's, which was much more in line with what I wanted to do professionally that could lead the compliance work or risk management work or working in banking and all that sort of stuff um, and that's essentially what ended up putting me in front of my employer at that point um, who decided that you know because I had all these qualifications at 21 that I was going to be somewhat you know applicable and be able to, to transfer what I've learned to the wealth management industry mm-hmm. and then the rest happened you know what I mean yeah. um, and so was it's it's a it's a strange thing you know university because coming from a grammar school you know we're always taught stem subjects do you the stem thing do the 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 normal thing that everybody else does look into becoming a doctor or accountant or solicitor and whatever and that was just natural whenever you're you know somebody who performs well you know with your grades and obviously as I said I always had an interest in money and I thought you know well maybe I should go down the line of of accountancy or finance and and that might give me the fuzz that's what i like to call it something that is going to give me the fuzz but like james may from top gear and um so i settled on accountancy um but by the time i came to the end of it i knew that it wasn't 
what I was looking for to give me the fuzz, you know, the satisfaction that of what I'm doing, I really want to do it. Um, because, you know, nowadays, and you probably know this yourself, is, you know, doing a degree has its pros and its cons in terms of the financial burden that it puts on people. But also, you know, it can be a big up when you get a degree, but when you when you get to the end of it and you decide, was that really the right thing for me or did I just do it for, for doing sick? Um, and I suppose at the time I just had the you know, leverage it. Thank God I've done it. It's, it. It benefits me really well now in the line of work that I'm in. And I knew it was a secure thing to do, you know, to become an accountant. I knew it was secure, but it never, you know, struck me as a job that was like, you're an accountant, you know, you, you get some level of fulfillment or satisfaction from that. And so that led me on to, you know, doing further education. Um, and I'm still getting educated now, 10 years later. I've always, I've never stopped educating myself. Um, I actually done an exam last week to get to the next level and in terms of the qualifications that I can get as a financial planner. So I it's a it's a it's a it's an interesting route. Um but as I say, if you if you want to delve a bit deeper into it, financial planners don't need degrees. You can come straight out of school and do the the diploma in financial planning or regulated financial planner, which is, you know, the minimum qualification that you need to be to become a financial planner. Um, which I didn't know. And it's an industry that was never really widely talked about. So the degrees that I did have benefited me very well in applying things that I've learned to my career. But, you know, at the time I was thinking, um, is this the right move? Should I have done something different? You know, when I had an interest in a lot of things, um, architecture was one that I was really interested in. And um, international business was another thing, which is completely on a different on a different road you know so um i settled on that anyway and it's brought me to where i am so you know touch wood that it's that it's been good for me now and it will continue to be good for me um and and that's that that that's that on that on that journey you know what could give you a lot more stories about it but mm -hmm. you know that's the overview yeah yeah and you're feeling then around money you know what is it how do you feel or think about money because i think a lot of the time it, it can be a mindset of course. Um, well, uh, when you're younger, you know, everybody experiences the the glamour and the pull of being rich. You know, when people are attracted to being rich because you can have whatever you want and you can do whatever you want and it looks good, which obviously that's my feelings about that have changed over time and, and how I actually view wealth and, and what that actually means um, because perception has become a big thing and assumptions, you know, I... I People make a lot of some of assumptions about people with wealth, um, in terms of you know they don't have any stress or there's nothing that worries them or um, as you know it's their life has no issues which and that's not entirely true as as people know as they get older, um, and with the saying you know more money more problems that is true you know you see people albeit their first world problems um, not to offend anybody but you know it comes along with a certain type of responsibility and so. When you're younger, you go from this, look at this person, look at that person, they've got this and that, and I'd like to replicate that. I'd like to step into that. And so your perception is much more superficial when you're younger. Um, but as, as you get older and you get exposed to people with wealth or people accumulating wealth or, or providing people a chance to get wealthy, like I do for a living, it's your perception becomes much more about freedom of choice and the perception of, you know, not having to rely on anybody, relying on yourself, being able to provide for people. 
and so it becomes much less selfish in a way uh, that's the way that i see it you know anybody that i've ever seen that's accumulated wealth in, in a sizable fashion has spent most of their time using it they benefit other people um and they're able to do that because they're savvy with the way that they manage their wealth and so it's it's an interesting one because my as i say my perception changed when i was younger and you get to a point where you start to think you know where how long is a piece of string in, in terms of how long money will make you happy mm -hmm. because everybody can look online and see that there's a lot of people out there and that's a hot topic in terms of does money really make you happy um and so my perception has changed from when i was younger the money being a much more glamorous thing to now it's evolved to be much more of a tool for you know doing different things with your life or having the freedom to do that um and that actually my perception of it has become much smaller in terms of the wealth that you need to be able to feel like that you know i i consider it to be something that affects your feelings um and everybody thinks oh i need to be worth 10 million quid they they love a good lifestyle or to be comfortable with my life and not have any problems it's not the case it's not i've seen it and i've dealt with it and that point that that level or that shelf that you have to reach is much much smaller than that and it it boils down to both how much wealth you have and ultimately how much money you earn but the major thing is how much you spend and how much you you use it you know are you using it for short-term gratification or are you using it for long-term gratification or are you mixing it between the two and so um the answer to your original question things have changed my my perception of money has changed from something that can give you comfort but it's not the be all and end all which it can seem when you're younger um and the fact that it's helped me change my mindset to see a different side of how money works and how the world works because at some point it becomes irrelevant you know how many zeros is enough and that's you know look at somebody like elon musk or jeff bezos or whatever you want to whoever you want to look at they're in a position where they have all the money in the world but you know what sort of utility does that provide them mm. that's the way i think about it now it's a good word utility you know what do you need to provide you the utility that you want with your with your life and how you feel about it and then after that are you just trapped in the box you know mm. are you just doing it for the sake of doing it you know and, and that's that's something that's changed massively for me even over the last couple of years um from you know just the thought about having money isn't really what you should be thinking about if you chase it you'll never get it but if you set yourself up in a way and think in a certain way and and believe that you are going to be able to put yourself in that position that it, it will come to you yeah and, and that's what i want to dive into is like how how you help people and how you can yeah guide them on the way to becoming abundant bringing in money with because again it, it's definitely a lot to do with mindset but how people can start because some people might be earning you know depending on what you're earning is i suppose it's where yep. you start like mm -hmm. but i'm sure there's people who earn a significant amount too and who still can't mind the money you they're just not able to hold on to it you know so um if you were to start with someone someone you know who wanted to start saving money or at least wanted to start moving towards becoming stable yeah financially secure or building security for the future who were maybe earning maybe 20,000 25,000 a year mm -hmm. um full-time you know wh how do you guide that person 
to becoming or like how do you plan for the future how where does it start for them well i suppose it is it, it's subjective you know what depending on people's lifestyles and the lifestyle that they want to have do they have children are they married you know you know all these all are softer facts that come into people's lives but the general rule of thumb that i've started playing around with is what i call the five pillars of of wealth or security which is you know saving money investing money paying on the pensions for your long-term savings um you know investing in things like property owning a home and the security that comes with that and insurance right and so whenever people first come to somebody like me there's two sides of it it's about your financial circumstances and how to better manage them and then the other side is a mindset thing and they go hand in hand but i'll try and discuss them separately and then we'll tie them together and so the average person who who earns you know the average amount of money that people earn in the uk which is between 25 and 30 grand a year to get the level of security they need basically two things in their life which is semi-control of their living circumstances where you know they may have ownership of a property that's if anything happens that they're never going to get kicked out of it so that's a real comfort level for a lot of people especially in our society um in places like america you know home, home ownership isn't as big of a deal you know what people are renting and things like that but that's having you know your own home is the main thing and that's what generally people in our culture will aim towards whenever they first start out in a career is i love at home the first thing that i should really be doing um is getting out on my own and, and building my own security but before that you have to be managing your finances themselves quite strictly which is the amount of money you earn the amount of money you spend and your disposable income and disposable income becomes a major factor because as we've talked about before you know you can earn a lot of money and you can also spend a lot of money so if you earn a hundred and spend a hundred it makes no difference if somebody earns 40 and spends 40 you know what you're spending it all might be at a higher scale but ultimately you're still zero one out every time and then what my goals are for new people that i meet is figure out what you're earning and what you're spending and how you can create a gap between those two that's the first thing because you can't save money if you don't have disposable income you with me and so after that it's create some disposable income which could be as simple as canceling direct debits that are that you're just spending money on that you don't need subscriptions for things that you don't watch gym memberships that you don't use and things like that and that can create disposable income and then you have to move that disposable income and deploy it and the things like savings for emergency funds which is getting yourself to a point where you have enough money to string you out for a certain period of time if something goes wrong in your life which could be if you lose your job or if a major expenditure comes up in your home or with a vehicle so the first thing is getting people to a point where they understand that they need to have that buffer behind them they protect themselves that's the very first thing which is specifically three to six months of your expenditure plus an hour maybe a thousand pound for unplanned expenditure so somebody who earns 25 grand a year for example and their expenditure every month is a thousand pound if we keep it simple if you take three months of that expense add a thousand pound on that means that you really should be sitting on four grand to protect yourself not for anybody else's benefit other than your own so that if something goes wrong in your life that you have that behind you they protect you give you a, for example if you lose your job you've got two or three months of bills and stuff that you can pay for before you need to find another job so it gives you time right 
Um, and then after that is once you get to that point where you've got the utility from those emergency funds as they're as they're pegged, is what do you then do with money? And so obviously if somebody has a career and they're working for an employer, they're probably paying into a work plus pension. And a major thing that I want to touch on right now is if, the, if anybody has ever left a work plus pension, they need to get back into it because it's going to do serious damage to their future, right? But coming back to it, any more disposable income you have then, you should be thinking about what can I do so I can move towards in the future or, or foresee a period of time where I am no longer trading my time for money, i.e. an early wage, and where I have things that are going to make money for me while I'm not doing anything for it. So for the average person, it will be, they lay it out in bullet point form, figure out where you are. Like there's a lot of people out there that, you know, that don't have any idea of what they're, that they're spending. Um, so it's figure out where you are, figure out what your income and expenditure is, avoid consumer debt. You know, you don't want to be carrying a lot of consumer debt unless it's useful. You know, credit card debt and things like that. Build up emergency funds. And then after that, you get to the point where somebody like me will say, maybe now is time to start deploying your money where it can have a chance to grow in the future. Um, and as we talked about before, maybe not everybody's in that position. They commit, you know, a lot of money to these things or even a £200 a month or £300 a month or whatever. And so now today has never there's never been a time where accessing investments and things like that has been more accessible because you can do this online yourself from a pound a month or a fiver a month and that might sound insignificant to one person but you're starting to snowball and that's what really matters um do you have any questions on that no but the one thing that was crossing my mind is is this something that someone could come to you about who isn't because let's say they don't have enough money to work with a financial planner but yep. that's something that they can still come to you about and you 100%. will guide them on that road yes just 100%. getting them getting into that place where they've never been and you can continue guiding them of course i can yeah. yeah of course and that's you know that's why i've put myself out there on social media as a way because at the end of the day a lot of people are intimidated they talk about certain things and 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 you know irish culture money has always been you know something that people are closed books about and so it's a matter of giving people information that they can start to apply to themselves and then when they feel more comfortable they can come along and say i've seen that you've provided information on x y or z but i want to learn more and i want to take it serious so yes i can help them and that might be indirectly online as i said or they can come and see me and the, the benefits of somebody like me is that as you know as i said before we don't charge people to come and see us and the way that i see it is give and receive you know i i do my best to provide time for people who you know i know that aren't quite there yet but they need help to, to get them there because you know if, if you put yourself in my position if i put a barrier up in front of somebody from getting to that point then you know everything i'm doing is i'm only serving the people who you know i know need served instead of trying to help people raise the quality of what they're trying to do with their own finances mm -hmm. um and so to answer your question yes i'm willing to speak to anybody even if it's a 20 minute phone call at eight o'clock at night i've done it i've been there and i still do it and i'm willing to do that if people want guidance and that's what you're talking about is guidance yeah um and I'll, you know alongside that i i don't you know keep all this within my own boundaries and my own remit you know i know people who are money coaches and people who put out information that's more in line with 
budgeting. You know, I might be putting out more technical information, but they might be putting out things that are much more applicable to day-to-day -day life, especially if you have children and all that stuff. And I say, well, go and look at this person's information and they'll be able to help you, and then we can discuss it, no problem. Um, and so the answer is yes. The answer is yes, I'm, I'm willing to help. And that's that's me starting to get the mindset going too mm. um, of, of taking control of your finances. Because most people are riding around and their money runs their life whenever it should be the other way around, you know? Yeah. A lot of people do live week to week. Is there an element of sacrifice required to get to that place? A thousand percent. You know, at the end of the day, it's, it's as they say, short-term and, and long-term gratification. And that's where the mindset side starts to trickle in is because, you know, like anything else, if you want to get in better shape, you know, you're going to have to sacrifice the things that you like eating. In some way or form, you know, not completely, but you're going to have to cut back on them. And that's no different than, than managing your, your finances. You have to understand that giving up something or a small part of what you earn now will provide you with tenfold utility or ten satisfaction in the future. And I see that day in and day out. And I see the people who have, a tr you know, put themselves in that position where they have thought about that and they have done that over a period of 20 or 30 years and I've seen the other side of it too when there's people that are 60 years old and they've got nothing you know they've got no they might have a home but they don't have a large a pension that's going to sustain them they don't have savings for protection and so they're at risk and that's what this is all about it's about reducing risk in your life um, and so you know I do think that you know there is a place for it and the, and the mindset of it is that you need to understand that you have to give up something or a small part of it now in order to receive the benefits in the future. And then that's when we see people with certain amounts of wealth versus people with a lot more wealth is because that's all relative to what they've sacrificed, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and that's something that the UK is really, you know, getting behind now. Um, obviously we're in the, a period of time where that's very difficult too because of the cost of living. And so you're then having to add that additional layer on the, the, you know the the mindset and framing and and helping people see the different perspectives because they're all, people are already struggling and then you're saying to them well you should be taking a wee slice off and trying to put that away for your own benefit in the future um, which can be difficult and so you know it's one of them things where in the long run I always say to people you don't have to do this day in and day out and day in and day out for the whole your whole life you will have periods of time where you're able to commit more or less your to your long-term future for example when you're younger and you're working and you've got no commitments but when you have children or you have debt on property or whatever you know you don't have as much um free reign as whenever you didn't have children because there's costs associated with that and so it's a juggling act it's always a juggling act um but you know that that the the main thing is about getting in that getting in that frame of mind that you have to sacrifice because it's all about you you know you have to be selfish yourself and that's what a lot of people don't understand you have to look after number one in, in a way um without it sounding narcissistic you know you have to protect yourself so that you can then protect other people in the future yeah 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 it was running my mind there like whenever i started out working and i always made a commitment to saving a certain amount every single week and it was just about being consistent and i would always i would never fail to make sure that i put that it was like automatic 
direct debit into another account uh-huh. and then I, you know every year as, as i earn more i started putting more in, and then and then that just progressed over the years and mm-hmm. then you start putting more and more away so for me it's like it's just about consistency and it's committing to that and not letting that slide and whenever you like whenever you do that then then it starts to become you know things start to be, start going your way you know and i think if we can if people can do that just make the commitment even if it's just a tenner a week it's it's the practice of doing it. It is. It's, a habit. it's habitual. Yeah. Because, you know, like anything else, if you go to the gym five days a week for six months and then you get to a point where you don't go to the gym, then you feel guilty because you're not going and, and exercising. And that's the same way saving money or investing money. You will get to a point where once that habit is really formed, if you're not doing it, then you're seeing it as a negative thing, you know, and the longer you go on without putting them habits in place, the harder it gets. Because the longer you have had that money in your pocket mm-hmm. and you've been using it for your satisfaction you know, or using it to support yourself or whatever, the harder it gets then they take a slice of that because, you know, you call that lifestyle creep. You know, that's as people earn more money and they spend more money and then they get to a point where you're asking them to give up some of that and it's very difficult. And so, like you're saying, if you're consistent, if you create a bottom line whenever you're younger and that is always there, and then depending on how your life goes then after that, you can adjust, you can increase or decrease depending on what you've got going on in your life as long as the bottom line's there, which is a foundation. Mm-hmm. You know, you need a foundation. And I've seen people become much happier knowing that they're doing that, even if it's only if it's only smaller amounts of money. You know, even I always say to somebody, if you're putting away £200 a month, you mightn't, sound, you mightn't feel like that's a, a significant amount of money that would be significant in your life. Because it's a night out there, a couple of pairs of shoes. But over 10 years, that's 24 grand. And if you've got 24 grand behind you, you know, there's not much that's going to phase you. Unless there's something catastrophic, you know what I mean? And so that's that's at that level. And coming back down to the lower level, even if it's a tenner a week, over 10 years, that's five grand. Which, at the end of the day, is, it's still five grand. It's still a lot of money. And so that all depends on what you're looking for. You know, and it depends on your feelings about how you want your life to play out. Um, you know, I've seen people that earn 40 grand a year and end up in a much better position than somebody who earns 100 because of the way well, they've managed their money. Right, so can you give me an example of that? Like, Well, you know, coming back to what we've said, you can earn 40 grand a year and you're just, like say when you pay your taxes or whatever, let's keep it simple, you've got 35 grand, right? Or maybe a bit less than that. And out of that 35 grand, you spend 30 grand and then you keep five over 10 years you've accumulated 50 grand right and that could be in a savings account or national insurance or national savings and investment sorry or a pension or whatever it may be but then if somebody earns 100 and they end up with 60 grand after they paid their dues to the man upstairs and all that sort of stuff and then they spend the 60 10 years down the line the lower earners miles ahead and so you know, it's it should be relative to what people earn. There's some people who are very aggressive and thinking about the future, and every pound's a prisoner or every euro's a prisoner. Um, and then there's other people that just don't attach a great deal of value to money. And so there's, you know, you have to find middle ground. I'm not going to tell somebody you can't love your life because you need to save for the future or you need to do this for your benefit. And on the other side, I'm not going to say you should spend all your money because you can't take a wee. All I'm saying is you need to find a middle ground that suits you. Because mm-hmm. you can't apply the same thing to everyone, Ryan. You just, you just can't. Because some people just have different lives. Um, 
and that's where coming back to how my perception of money changed is you know my assumptions that I was making about certain types of people when I was younger in terms of how people should manage their money but now I've become much more flexible and you know I've started to paint a picture on my own head of everybody is different everybody and that's that's why my expertise in some way becomes so valuable because I can see where you have to adapt and be flexible to suit somebody you know and that's not easy to do when you're dealing with somebody's finances because it's not something that they really want to talk about either you know what I mean yeah, and so yeah. that 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 example is very common and I've look at the end of the day there's people that uh, whenever you start involving debt as well you know debt is a scary thing if it's not managed well and generally people who earn less money will be much more aware of debt but whenever you're earning big money six figures or more debt doesn't become as much of a problem but it's not a problem as long as you're earning the money and then it's what happens after if something goes wrong and you're not earning that money anymore then you're you're starting to see the negative sides of it so again there's a lot of subjectivity in it but you know consistency coming back to consistency and how you manage your money um will always win like the tortoise and the hare the tortoise will always win yeah. um over the long run okay then someone who's starting out as we talked earlier about yep. like saying earning 20 to 30 grand which i think you mentioned is the general average uk average yeah, about 27 average. i think 27 so i would imagine a lot of them people their one of their goals is to buy a property mm-hmm. you know so let's just say hypothetically speaking that's me and mm-hmm. come to you yep um you give me a plan a roadmap for mm-hmm. to buy a property at x amount let's yep. just say what's the average price in dairy at the minute jeez we'll call it call it 150 maybe okay. that might be a bit higher and to it, be honest, and yeah and you probably get ones cheaper too you know and it's just like it's getting on that that ladder you know there's a lot of people could probably go, oh i want that big house 300 it's like i think it's important to start small isn't it 100 percent. yeah and i think you know one of the things that i've seen is you know you have to be comfortable with the decisions that you're making because even if you're 21 and you're earning a lot of money taking that step and they getting on the a commitment like a massive mortgage it's not easy you know i've seen people do it and people carry it well and people don't but you know getting on the ladder in the first place is really the key um and say coming back to your example uh, explaining all this with examples is the best way because i can't give somebody a roadmap until i know what their objective is and that's that's something that people misconstrue about financial planning you know they think that we have a crystal ball but our advice is based on people's needs and their wants so somebody wants to buy a house for 100 grand and they need to save a say a 15 percent deposit or a 10 percent deposit which is 10 15 grand 10 15 grand right and they want to buy a house in three years there you go you've got all your you've got all your uh variables so you say you need to save 15 grand over three years which is 36 months are you saving on your own or are you saving with a partner and so if somebody says oh i'm saving with a partner or we're trying to save this amount each for example you know if it's say they're they're saving with a partner they make it easy so that means two people have to save seven and a half grand each over, over a three-year period which is what per year less than two grand a year right which is so probably well two and a half grand a year which is 190 point a month or whatever my mental maths is um between them not sharp no each 190 pound each so a month yeah right and so whenever you 40 pound a week or so right okay and so somewhere around that anyway um and then it gets to the point where you're like obviously you're going to have to forecast that you know maybe the house prices will move around and that's not just all the money that you need you might need some money to pay for solicitors and surveys and stuff like that 
So in reality, they should be looking for 16 or 17 grand. But whenever you dial back, all we need to save 15 grand to 190 pound a month, it becomes so much more attainable and less scary. And then you, you have a plan that somebody can commit to and say, well, I earn 25 grand a year. I have bills of eight or nine hundred pound a month for my car and whatever else I need to pay for and I pay rent or whatever, that two hundred pound becomes much more manageable and you know palliable in your life. Especially if you're two people earning somewhere amounts of money. Um and so that's where the planning comes in. That's where the structure and logic becomes much more valuable than you actually realise. Um and then people go, My God, I never thought about it that way. And you can apply that to buying a house, buying your second house, buying or getting married, having children, you know, funding university fees for children when they're 18 it all comes back to those variables time what you need and what you earn um and so for that person that's your plan and then we will then look at well what else is out there to help you with your plan and so in the uk you have things like help to buy ices and lifetime ices which give you bonuses and what you earn so for example a lifetime isa you can put four thousand pound on it in a year and it gives you a thousand pound bonus. The government gives you a thousand pound for free, and so that's between two people. If they're putting, it's it's a twenty five percent bonus or twenty percent bonus anyway. So if they're saving two thousand pound a year, they're going to get four hundred pound for free on top of that, and that means that they might need to save as much or for as long, because they're they're making use of what's out there for their own benefit. Do you know what I mean? And then that's where all these plits start to spin. And then it becomes much more attainable. And so coming back to sacrifice, that couple hundred quid a month, if that's your goal, they get to that point, you have to sacrifice something else that that money could be swallowed by. And then whenever you reach that goal and you buy the house, then you move on to your next goal and you start off with all the same variables all over again. But you have so much more behind you this time. That's what I mean. The way that I consider it is like steps. You have to climb to the first step. And then the Which second. is the hardest one. Always the hardest one. Always the hardest one because, you know, whether or not, if you get on the ladder, say for your example, you're buying a home, if you get on the ladder, then, you know, if things play out the way history has statistically, if you stay in that house for five or ten years, there's a good chance it might be worth a wee bit more than you paid for it. And so instead of you having to start the process again of, of saving all this money over a certain period of time, you have now got a buffer if you sell your house or if you don't sell your house, you've got equity in it which then can be used to bolster the, the next step. And that's, you know, that's no different with saving money. You know, you, you have, basically, like like anything, it's cyclical. So you have a rise, and then you have a fall, and then you have a rise, and then you have a fall, and so on and so forth. And that's the that's the logic that you apply. And see, when you start pinging that at people, they start to understand the, 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 the value of it. And like, that's not something that I would charge somebody money for. Mm-hmm. I'd tell them that on the phone. No bother. And I've done it. I've helped people plan out how they're going to pay for a wedding over two and a half years. But you need to know those things first. And that's why, you know, I'm sure you know people who would say, oh, I might buy a house or whatever. But they don't know when and they don't know why. You know, and then that that doesn't become as, there's not as much conviction there. Whereas if somebody says, I need to buy a house in three years, what do I need to do? My partner as well is involved. You can lay that plan out and they're there. And that's, applies to investments too if somebody wants to accumulate a certain amount of money and savings or investments the same plan applies and you 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 create those variables yourself based on your needs yeah 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 yeah. so i'm i'm really 
I'm running through this example as if this is me dealing with you, yeah. you know. So now me and my partner, we have bought our first house three three years in. We've done the savings. Now we're earning maybe we're in the thirty to forty k mark. Yep. So we're up more money, mm-hmm. and we're living in our property. Our our repayments on the house are a lot less than the rent that I was previously paying. So I'm I'm able to save even more money yep. than I had before. Okay. What now? Orn, what's right. next? What so else can you offer me? This is when your this is when your your web, if you want to call it, of options starts to expand, because you will have the consideration of will I start paying down my mortgage early? Will I will I start to concentrate my wealth on the property, i.e., by paying down the mortgage, creating more equity and less debt? But then that comes with with its own implications because you mightn't have as much liquid security, and um, so that's one of the first considerations: is should I pay my debt off early? So that I have less debt in the future, so I'm I'm safer. Um, or do I start to leverage the free money that I have? I've got some savings behind me. Should I start now investing it? And that can either be in liquid investments that you can access whenever you want, or it can be. Can you give me an example? Like a like a stocks and shares, I said that would be, um, which is basically a, a an investment account where you can pay money into it in lump sums or monthly, up to twenty grand a year, and that money will will have a chance to grow are, are these like kind of proven markets or oh they're traditional financial markets yeah, yeah. traditional that's like you know it's a it's a government-backed investment product in the uk um and any money that your isa grows by for example is non-taxable no income tax no capital gains tax and so you're then putting yourself in a position where you have an asset that's trying to accumulate money or earn money but you're holding on to 100 percent of the gains the, the tax man's not handing out looking for his slice and then that becomes a bigger snowball, right? And then your other option then is, should I pay more money on the pension for the future, for the long term? And so you start to look at, again, coming back to somebody's objectives. What is their goal? Do they want to become debt-free when they're younger? Do they want to accumulate liquid investments in the, in the medium term, which is 5 to 15 years? Or do they want to plan for their longer term first, which is pension age, which is 15 years plus? And so that's, can you see why the, the options get bigger? Generally, people will be employed. They're already paying money into their pension. Their employer is also paying money into their pension. So in the long run, that, you know, that will get somebody to a certain level on its own. So they might think, well, my pension plan is sort of okay now. And I've got savings. So you're stuck with, should I pay down debt early? Or should I, should I invest money? And that again, and without trying to overcomplicate it, has its own layers depending on the actual utility you get from paying down a mortgage, depending on your interest rates. If you have a really low interest rate, then there's no point in paying down a mortgage early because it's taking care of itself. But if you have a very high interest rate, can you save more money by paying down your mortgage early, which in turn will free up more money in the future for you to invest more. Mm-hmm. And so that, again, comes back to people's needs and their, their attitude, they risk is what we call it. You know, People who are quite averse, they risk want to pay down debt and save money. Whereas people who are, you know, semi-averse risk don't want to have a lot of debt, but they want to get their money working and things like stocks and shares, ISIS. Um, and then you have people who are incredibly, you know, they run towards risk. And that might include things that are much more aggressive, which will be buying loads of property, accumulating lots of debt, um, and pumping lots of money in it to grow wealth by gear and debt. But obviously that's things that come, you know, on down the line. But the simple options for somebody in that position, as you've asked, they've bought a house, they're now earning, you know, above the average wage. 
your options is pay down debt early or start to um, invest in, in liquid investments that can achieve compound growth or seek compound growth um, over over a 10 or 15 year period. Um, and that that becomes a new a new uh, circumstance for somebody if they've never been in that position before. And then it's my job to try and frame it for them so they know this is all improving quality of life and improving security and financial stability and all that sort of stuff. And that ties back into those five pillars of wealth as I was talking about at the start. Mm-hmm. And so it's all very, there's a lot of things going on and they're all correlated, but it depends on the key factor, which is the person you're dealing with on how you fit those pieces of the jigsaw together and that becomes their financial plan. Yeah. So a lot of the people that I would deal with, they get to the point that you're talking about and then they will start investing money in the markets, which is through things like stocks and shares ISIS, yeah. because they're the most tax efficient investment that people can use, um, that they can access, so that you can access it whenever you want, it's not locked away. Um, and it can be invested in very traditional um, parts of the market, like stocks, or government debt, or parts of the UK commercial property market, that they're all done through investment funds, which are essentially big baskets that hold thousands of different things or hundreds of different things, they spread risk. And so, you know, there's there's so many things that they can do and that's why, you know, your own money journey or your own finance journey, you know, your your own mindset and your requirements of it is is very important. Yeah. Um there's people out there that, that can tell you a one size fits all, this is how you should deal with your money, which is fine. But, you know, is that is that going to sit the way you're trying to live your life mm-hmm. you know yeah you, you talk about risk and risk adverse people so mm-hmm. like there's a lot of people out there who are scared yes to, and i'm going to call it, it's literally taking that first step because they they haven't been taught no one they haven't seen mm-hmm. it around them um and then there's people who will run up them steps you know yeah who tends to be i suppose the ones i'm going to call it the winner you know who, who tends to trump oh my god um well, you have your stereotypes, right? Um, not that they're right or wrong, but the stereotypes is that men are much more open to the open to the idea of of taking more risk, whereas women historically have been more cautious. Um, and f- strangely enough, I've been dealing with a lot more women this year, which is brilliant because what obviously what I'm putting out there is helping them see the other side. Um, but in terms of a winner, right? It's again that comes back to what you see as success Mm -hmm. somebody might say well success to me is having my mortgage paid off when i'm when i'm young having security behind me and the ability to support my family if anything goes wrong and then somebody else might define that success as pure aggression and 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 the scale of the success that you have and so it's very different um there's nothing wrong with being cautious and i think everybody should be cautious especially when you're dealing with investments that can fluctuate in value and go up and down um and one misconception is that the question that i always get asked is what happens if i lose all my money that's a big question which because we've got cryptocurrency and all these other you know get rich quick pinted things even though cryptocurrency can make a lot of people wealthy they are so far down the line in terms of risk that people should be taking um and fast money just as impossible and that's investing itself whenever i explain it to people is it's boring 
the more boring it is, the better it's going to do because it shouldn't be something that thrills you. It should, there's not supposed to be any emotion attached to it. It's plan and execute. That's that's it. Um, and getting emotional over over money in that way is never going to work out well because the more emotional you get, the more chance of human error, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which is mad. It's mad. And that's why people use somebody like me because the 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 context of human error gets removed because they need to come to me first before they make any decisions. Um, and so risk itself, I think that if you have no uh, experience with it, right, there's no way that you should be being aggressive. Bottom line, you need to step under those shoes over time. And what I've been doing with clients of mine is small amounts, come at it, get comfortable, wade, wade and they what you're trying to achieve first up to the hips so do you under you get a feeling you know if you wade under the water you get a feeling for how cold the water is but eventually you'll get comfortable and then you wade on a wee bit more and a wee bit more and a wee bit more and then you can you can start to swim you know what i mean and so my approach because i'm young as well i'm not 50 or 60 years old i'm trying to start a journeys for people how old are you 29 i'm starting to, i'm trying to start journeys for people where they can wade in when they're young, preferably in their 20s, to be honest with you, or their early 30s. That's where I like to see people because they've got so much time ahead of them. And the more time you have, the less risky you have to be. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you get older and you're trying to achieve something, you have to go all in and you have to pay more under these investments and pensions. But when you're younger, you can achieve the same thing with much less and let it work for you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I need to get across to people more is smaller operating smaller for longer periods of time will leave you in the same place as somebody who's 20 years later and is trying to achieve the same thing as you and then that's when people get uncomfortable so you know risk itself is a weird thing because attitude they risk comes from sort of like a lack of understanding and a lack of of proof right and traditional financial markets for over a hundred years have proved net positive returns over over ten decades, right or more. Obviously, there's blips along the way. You've got wars and great depressions and things like that, but they are necessary. They are necessary because see if investments went up every single year by the same amount, then everyone would be doing it, and it would it it wouldn't provide the same results. And so, you have to take the good with the bad and understand that yes, there will be periods where things get worse. But the outcome is that it's likely that it's going to get better and that we're going to end up further or or have more progress by the time we get further on down the line. And that can be applied to anything. You know, you do seven years of school. You start at a high probably because it's a new a new thing. And then you go down through your lows if you're if you're struggling with your grades or you're not doing, you know, socialising or whatever. But then you come back up again and you come back down again. But when you do that seven years of school, you are not the same person as you were seven years ago. And that's exactly the same thing as investing. You know, it, it will it will go up and down, and it's guaranteed, and that is a guarantee it will go up and down. Sometimes it might go down below what you've invested. You might be um, in a negative, but historically the markets have proved that they are probable, that they, they can provide probable growth, predictable growth in a safe way. And that's why I am where I am, because I leverage that probability. And that's why time is a, an important factor to me and my clients because I know that statistically 
over a 30 year period no matter what happens in between you're probably going to do all right within a certain boundary and that makes me much more confident in dealing with people in that way instead of somebody who's going i've got 10 years here i need to make this money work hard i would shy away from that and i probably decline to do that to be honest with you because that's putting me at risk as well so you're thinking long term like long term long well, you have your, as I say, you have different products for different periods of time, but you know, managing your money is a lifelong commitment. It's not, I'm going to do this for five years and then that's me. Isn't, would it be, so I've come across people who think having a lot of cash is the best thing that they can have. Disaster. Why is that? Well, again, historically, we've, we've got inflation and inflation is basically the rise in costs of certain things every year. And so the retail price index is what inflation is. It's basically based on a basket of goods or the CPI. I can't remember which one it is, excuse me. And that's basically if you go out and get bread, milk, eggs, chocolate or whatever in the shop and it costs you a tenner this year, next year it's going to cost you £12. The year after that it's going to cost you £14.20 or whatever it may be. And so if you keep your money in the bank or under the mattress, you're basically being left behind as the cost and and life moves on and the thing and money moves on and that's why people need to get their money to work for them they at least keep pace with inflation so that that 10 grand car that they were going to buy this year if it's 12 grand next year that their money has still grown in order to meet that need does that make sense yeah so, um, so what even if they had like say ten thousand, just put it into an index investment see, that's or, like what what could they do with it so if you have your emergency funds, your emergency funds should stay in the bank, yeah. right? And that's where you have to leverage interest rates from the bank, which will be, you know, the interest rates are high at the moment. You can get 5% interest on your savings. So if you have t- 10 grand in savings, because you need it. for, And these savings are supposed to cover you for a fi- in, in the short term, which is over a five-year period if you need money for anything. You can get 5% in 10 grand, which is 500 quid. And so if you kept that 10 grand in in an envelope under the bed, you've just lost out in 500 quid. And so you need to make use of what's out there in order to make your money work in some way or form, even knowing that inflation might be eating away at it a wee bit. You know, inflation at the moment, as of maybe a week ago, was 6.7%. But you can get 5 or 6% in the bank on interest at the moment or through something like a cash ISA or whatever it may be, right? Um... And if you want me to give you the specific products, I can. But that means that instead of you losing 6.7% of your money, you're only losing one7 if you're getting 5% interest. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And so you have, to, in some ways, it's just staying with the times. And you go through periods where interest rates are higher and you make more money on your savings and when they're lower and you don't. And then that, that correlates with our conviction when people should be investing money. Because, for example, I've had several occasions in the last six months where people have come to me with a hundred grand in the bank or two hundred grand in the bank or even more and said, Should I invest this money? And I've said no, because you can guarantee yourself five percent in the bank until the interest rates go away again. And so, the short term. Yeah. So if somebody says to me, I've got a hundred grand and I am going to need this money in three years for X, Y, and Z reason, number one, you shouldn't be investing it because investments are five year plus, right? No investment should be any less than five years or more. And they need access to that money. So if that was my money, do you think I would be investing it? You know, I have to treat their money as my own and they can 
guarantee themselves 5% growth or five grand a year on 100 grand for three years. If, and you have the ability to do that. You can guarantee yourself that by fixing your savings. You, we can lock them away for three years. So you come back out the RMA, 115 grand, and then the interest rates fall. So it's not as attractive anymore. And then we invest the money. Mm-hmm. So we're always leveraging what's best at the time, right? And that's in the short term. And if it's if it's looking down the line where people say, I want to put this money away and I don't want to access it for 10 years or more, then it's unlikely our interest rates will ever remain where they are now because they're the highest they've been in 15 years only because they're trying to kill inflation. And when that is on their wraps, they'll start to bring the interest rates back down and then saving in the bank becomes less attractive. So in the shorter term, the interest rates are good for cash savings. But if you're going longer term, then investing investments will probably outperform savings. So again, you know, you, you're sitting with that subjectivity again, but in my eyes, if you've got 10 grand and that's, that's, your, that's your safety net, should sit in the bank, accrue interest, put it in the best bank account that you can get the best interest on and, and let it do that. You have, to, you have to take that one on the chin because if you invest that money and then a year later you need some of it, they, they start sudden out and it's worth 10% less than it was the year before, then you've, you've lost both ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's always the here and now with objectives and then we a spice of what could happen in the future as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's why it turns to be a kiss-by-kiss kiss business. Yeah. So everyone's treated differently in the sense based on their needs <sighs> with their, when they come to you. Mm-hmm. How do you stay up to date with, you know, because as a society we're always evolving. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that I'm sure everything, there's the general base of things are still the same, but there must be some maybe new things coming, new investments or is, is that is that something or in like terms how do you of keep your people, you know, your clients up to date or how how what is your relationship like with them with the moving markets like? Well, we we the structure that we have in place, because I work for a I don't work for a small independent firm, I represent a much larger firm. And so a lot of a lot of the market commentary is what it would be called, or market insights are passed to us from people who are employed full-time. They watch it. So we get given the information that is most important to us, right, depending on the markets. And over time, you, you begin to get a perception of how markets move because you're watching them every day, right? Um, and you understand when the markets might be high or the markets might be low. And then that can then translate into how you advise people. And to give you a good example, COVID or the pandemic, during pre- previous to that, from two thousand and eight, when the when the financial crash happened around the around the world, and done devastation, obviously in the UK and America, over the next twelve years until twenty twenty, the markets were providing serious growth. You know, very respectable, positive growth, property markets and financial markets. Right. Um, whenever COVID happened, the markets knee jerk fell probably by about thirty five percent across the board. And so from my perspective, I've experienced, I've been in wealth management for near seven years. Um, and so I've been experiencing all these big major world events that other people, you know, haven't experienced because they're in a period of time where these don't happen. And you learn, you, you get a gut feeling sometimes, right? Um, and so keeping people up to date with markets obviously depends on your own knowledge and your own education, continually educating yourself and so on and so forth. But also keeping keeping an eye, and because we are traditional wealth management, you know, wealth managers, we use traditional markets, and traditional markets have got long histories 
of data behind them, which helps people, you know, predict and analyze them so that they can see what's going to happen in the future. And one of the reasons why I am with or represent the firm that I represent is because everything that they do is forward looking. It's not based on the past. And so there's many financial planners out there that will base investment decisions based on past performance or previous performance. So say for example, you know, that restaurant has done really well for the last 10 years. So we're going to buy it because it has done and hope that it continues to do better, continues to um, work on that business. But that's not always going to be the case. You might buy a restaurant in the year that something major happens, like 2020, and the market's f- and, and it, it falls to pieces. Whereas we look at it in terms of what's doing well now and what do we see is going to do well in the future, factoring in the probability of, of how macroeconomics is going to affect it you know, finance, financial markets, and that could be, you know, the the effect of a war on the markets. How is that going to affect the markets? Is that going to have a devastating effect on a certain type of asset? Does that mean that we need to be more conscious about how much of that asset we're using? And that's not my, that you know, that's things that I've learned, but I don't make those decisions. There's people way, way, way up in the sky who they are, their career has been analyzing these situations, the portfolio and fund management, you call it, and their job is they come up with these investments that statistically make sense that they are going to provide an opportunity for people to grow money within a certain boundary of unexpectedness. And you call that basically, I, well, it's standard deviation. You know, you can expect that something's going to generate or a business will generate 100 grand a year, but you also have to account for a boundary of what happens if one year it does 80 grand and the next year it does 120 exactly the same so we're trying to predict something that's going to create a certain level of growth expect a growth you or expect a return but also factor in how much that can that can um wiggle by over time if you want to call it that mm-hmm. and so it all becomes it's a, it's a fine art really and it's not these decisions are not taken lightly um there's a lot of research there's millions of pounds spent on it every year and so whenever somebody says what happens if i lose all my money that's the exact answer i'm going to give them and when it comes to somebody who says, I want to do this on my own, and I says, well, you can do it on your own, but you're not going to stand up against the resources that we have. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so, for example, there will always be a big topic of conversation around do-it-yourself investments using index funds, right, which are passive investment funds that nobody controls. They just they just are what they are, like the S&P 500. Um and using somebody like us. So the S&P 500 is passive investment management, whereas we are active investment management, and that means that there's people actively managing the investments and what's held within them at all times. And so the S&P has previously provided great returns on paper. You know, it has provided 10% or more in terms of growth every year for 35 years or 40 years, but it's what happens in between that is... It might have provided 15% growth in one year, but it might have fallen by 20% in the same year. And so that's that level of discomfort is very difficult for a lot of people to withstand, especially when you get on the bigger figures. You know, like if we've invested a million quid for somebody and we say to them, you know, this could make you 200 grand, you know, just hypothetically, if it went up by 20%, but there's also a chance it could go down by 30. Are you willing to go from a million down to 700 up to 1.2? 
a lot of people are going to say no. They want to see slow and steady, comfortable, predictable, and that's that's something that differentiates do-it-yourself investing and using professionals. Um, because it's a it's a different story when it comes to your life savings versus a couple hundred pound that you threw on the an investment account. Yeah, 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 yeah. Can you give me some example of a client that has come to you who maybe was like who who was afraid, stuck? Um, unsure but you know they they had they started to earn money and they they really wanted to do something about it and you have you know you've guided them mm-hmm. down the path well a good a, a very good example that you can use for that is as people who work in the trades especially people who are are they give you a real world example working cross-border electricians welders pipe fitters who are from here or from the north but they're working in the republic because the, the earnings are a lot better and then then people will go from doing a four-year apprenticeship earning patterns they make an 80 grand a year depending on what they're doing and so then people will have real apprehension about you know i i made all this money and i don't want to spend it and then they're like i know i need to do something with it but if i don't understand it then it's very difficult for me to pull a trigger on something and so in that case it's our it's my job first and foremost to help them get under that mindset where this is good for them with another layer of the fact that i can prove that I am credible, reputable, I've done it before, I know what I'm doing, I'm qualified to do it, and I represent one of the major players and and the industry in our country. And so you're trying to provide as much comfort and security to that person so that they can make that first step. And then you spice that up with starting somewhere conservative so that they can get comfortable themselves, really loving it, using something like an ISA, because an ISA is accessible, and if they get uncomfortable after a period of time, whether it's made money or not, they can still get their money back out and they can say, no, it's not for me, which never really happens. You know, nine times out of 10, it doesn't happen. The odd time it does. Um, and so you have to get them into the mindset that they have to use the position that they're in and they would be doing themselves a disservice if they didn't do this because that's essentially what they're doing. Because they're, I'm sure you know people who look back in their life and say, I earned all this money and I did totally squat me. Mm-hmm. Um, which yeah. a lot of people probably can relate to. They, they've earned. I know people that have earned money, and they have all a lot of cash, but they're they've they've been scared to do something with it. Well, that's that's where the, that's where again, as I say, you have to you have to provide the credibility and and show people that you've done it before. And in terms of giving examples, you know, you can't you can't pan it down on one person. Um, and the way that I, the way that I like the it as well let's try let's try do and it's no different than you know somebody who has long hair and you go instead of you shaving your head today just cut a wee bit off and cut another wee bit off cut another wee bit off same thing applies you know you have to be patient with people too and understand that this is a brand new thing for them um and not make assumptions that they are uh psychologically ready to do this you know because some people need more time than others some people need less and so that's where you would place people and say start conservative but know that i am going to start pushing the boundaries over time with you and then they are much more comfortable with that because the commitment is small they can get comfortable with the fact of that money will fluctuate on a day-to-day basis if they've never done that before and once they know then that it's not as bad as they really thought it was going to be then they can start committing a wee bit more and get to a point where then they can create that plan that we talked about where if I do X with X amount for X amount of years, 
forecast and some growth. Here's what it could be left for you in 10 years, 15 years or whatever. And then it all clicks and you're happy as Larry. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, I, I can't expect people to jump right into that with two feet because, you know, what I've been working in the industry for years and, you know, I have to build up a certain level of confidence and conviction too, um, which takes time. And, you know, I would never give somebody a recommendation that I was uncomfortable with either. And that's really important. So, um, you, well, I, you learn to be detached from people. You're, you emotionally detach yourself from numbers, you know, because numbers become a part of everyday, everyday dealings. But all the emotions that come along with it and understanding them from a person's point of view are still there. So you have to say this is the best thing for your money, regardless of what I think or you think. This is this on paper is the best thing for tax and for growth and for risk and all that sort of stuff. And then you have to try and apply that to you know that person's personality. Mm-hmm. And that's it's mad. It is crazy because it, it really it's a part of you know what I do that I don't. Re- it, it's not really talked about that much, um, and that's why you will find people that say they're a good financial planner, they're good at financial advice, because they're not just going on with a spear and just shoving it right in. They're, they're trying to build people up because if you, it's a bit like people who won the lotto. If you have a million quid and you've never had it before, probability, probability-wise, you're probably going to lose it all. Yep. And we see that in the news all the time. Yep, yep, yep. But if then people accumulate that money over time, learn, become the person, step under the shoes... And understand why they're doing it then the probability of success is so much higher mm-hmm. you know yep, which yep, is yep. it's nice you no know, it's good for them and it's good for me because it's not it's not all about investment growth it's about seeing people's lives change you know yep, yep, and going yep. along on the journey with them you're doing like a lot of work i see on social media you know you do posts you have quite a good following um you're you're putting information out there like why do you do that well Again, just coming right back to what I just said, building people up. You know, there's been, there was a massive gap for a long time in terms of financial knowledge. And obviously, Martin Lewis, who's one of the most popular people who educates people around the UK, has, has become, you know, a household name for a lot of people. And so, you know, with the, in, in a sense of you're, you're managing your day-to-day money and not as such investments and things because he's not licensed to do that. But in terms of, putting out content on social media it's just a widen perspective tell people what's out there let them do what they want with the information mm-hmm. it's, you know if, if, if somebody gives me information about buying a home this area and that area here's all the information you need to know about them both you go and decide then yeah. you know I'm giving out the information so can people can make those choices you know they might turn out good or they might turn out bad if they yeah. decide whatever um but that's what it's 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 all about opening doors and just you know financial literacy is a massive topic at the minute because mm-hmm. everybody knocks on about why we aren't taught this stuff in school and I'm sort of trying to take that with a pinch of salt and go I've had five years dealing with people dealing with millions of pounds umpteen different circumstances people with different jobs careers employment statuses running businesses male female with children all these types of things. Why would I not just sprinkle a wee bit of that out there that I think that people can get use of mm-hmm. and save them having to go and pay somebody 500 quid to tell them? Yep. You know what I mean? And that's, that has valuable information. You know what I mean? It's, it's really valuable information, especially when you, when you add perspective from somebody who's walked it, who's walked the line. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then you can like I can say a pension is for your long term future which is a fact it's a statement but because of what I've achieved or what I've you know experienced myself I can spin that out into something much more different that appeals to a person not just their wallet you know what I mean mm-hmm. um, which comes along with comfort and security and you know independence and freedom and all the things that we talked about um, even if it's on a smaller scale or a bigger scale it doesn't matter it's still about those those things so that's why you do it yeah yeah um, yep. and ultimately you know without uh, sounding too selfless it brings me it brings me business and people come to deal with me a, a, as a result of it yep. because they can see that I'm trustworthy that I'm willing to give something before I get something back instead yep. of going I want this from you and then I'm going to give back to you it's look what I've given you you know what you could write a course on it or you could teach it in schools uh, and people would come out knowing, knowing a lot more mm-hmm. and so people naturally will say I know he knows what he's talking about he's trustworthy he's been doing this for a while he's been consistent he's been around a while you know all these things and then that makes them gives them the confidence to take the step and reach out to somebody like me yeah, yeah. Um, which is amazing it's amazing I'm very grateful for it honestly well look you put in the work you know if you put in the work trying to help people and you're doing it for free as well <laughs> something good will come of it Aye. I'm sure and, and our good is already coming from Aye, it you know a question that's come to me is like and people always say well money doesn't make you happy does money make you happy uh, yeah, I would say for, for like at the end of the day I'm not going to knock around here and say I'm a multi-millionaire I'm not you know but you experience changes and you know your your uh, outlooks as you accumulate some more money, um, which you know you could, there's a lot to be said for people who accumulate a certain amount of money where they've drawn a line under under it and said, you know, if anything ever goes wrong in my life, I'm sorted. I've got no debt, you know, and debt is a major factor in that. Um, I've got no debt. I've got a couple hundred grand in a pension. I've got fifty grand in the bank or thirty grand in the bank or whatever, and I've got fifty grand or sixty grand in investments that I've accumulated over my whole life. You know, nothing's ever going to wobble you. So I, I wouldn't say that it makes you happy in, in terms of just having it, you know, emits happiness. Mm-hmm. But I think it removes a lot of the stress of life, which yeah. in turn can help you be more happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and do the things that you want to do with your life. Uh, and that's that's what we're trying to do. You know, it's it's a matter of, you know, if you saved your whole life, you know, you would be doing, you do all right out of the back of it, like you would. But, you know, at what extent will that serve you when you get the point B? And so we're just trying to help people give what they're doing a wee bit of a kick, you know, over time in a safe way so that it's that it's actually benefiting them and it's, and it's you know, satisfying them that they've worked hard and they've done something and now that's working hard for them. Mm-hmm. So they're starting to get out of that cycle of trading time for money. Yeah, so their money's working for them. Exactly. And that gives you freedom. So there is an element where... Yeah, money's not going to give you give you full happiness, but it definitely gives you. you it know, encourages you to be more happy. I would say. Yeah. Know? And if you think about it at the very bottom level, you know, if you if you do buy your first house, right, and you've got your car and you're paying for it, you know, um, for a finance agreement or a personal loan or whatever, and then your boiler breaks and you don't have that five grand in the bank to replace your boiler, that's not going to encourage happiness. But if you've got five, ten, fifteen grand in the bank, it'll f- 
excuse me for cursing. If you've got five, <laughs> you ten, don't need to speak, if, if you've got that money in the bank, those things just bounce off you. Mm-hmm. And that you know, there's a lot to be said for that, even at the lower level. Yeah. And that's you know, that's the first layer, and then you scale it. And you know, everybody has their own definition of of what they want their life to be like. It's up to you to decide how much you want to scale those feelings, mm-hmm. and that's when people end up becoming a millionaire. Mm-hmm. or being worth 10 million or 100 million or a billion or whatever you may you yeah, may say yeah. um so i i don't think it brings happiness but i think it puts you in a position where you can encourage more happiness do you know what i mean yep 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 for me i think like money as you, you touched on earlier like money's a tool and it Aye. can whenever you get to a place that you have you know you're doing what you enjoy and the money's working for you you can then go into where you're not maybe not you could do something for yourself or do something that you enjoy doing rather than working for someone else and be in your own your own space your own freedom mm-hmm. your own creativity to do the things that actually you really enjoy doing mm-hmm. you know so if you don't have the money to do that then yeah so it's a, it's a it's a it's a it's a touchy question you know it's a deep but question it, it is. is like but yeah it, it definitely I'm not gonna say it buys you happiness but it can it gives you the ability to bring more happiness into your life, mm-hmm. I think. For me. Well, you know, the middle ground there, as mm-hmm. you say, is if you get to a point in your life where you know, I don't have to go to work tomorrow if I don't want to, but I'm going to go because I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that is the best middle ground because you are choosing the work. And that you would find that a lot of people, when they get to a point of like real, you know, true financial security, that they'll continue working anyway because they're trying to protect what they've built. And they're like, well, I don't mind going to work for 20 hours a week because it, it satisfies me. I get to speak to people. It, it meets all our needs emotionally and psychologically that I have. Um, and I can earn some money from it, which supports my lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And then all the other stuff that I've created can either be for bigger things in my life or for intergenerational wealth. And then that's when you start going down that road of you know inheritances and all that stuff. And, and some people are legacies. Legacies. Mm-hmm. Legacy wealth is what you call that. Yeah, yeah. And that can change know a whole family tree's life for the next 50 generations if you if you be the person in, in your family that does that which is crazy when you think about it mm-hmm. is money scarce or abundant you know is abundance is it there or is it not or like wealth how do you see that i definitely think that you know you can attract it into your life obviously three choices you know there's different levels of attraction you know if you want to attract money into your life you know that you might you might have a brutal few few years of saving or accumulate money so you can make plans with it but then with that comes more attraction and more abundance because if you are in a position where you don't feel like you are that person who deserves to be in that position then what's the point it's not going to happen you know and that's that's where a, a good saying that I've heard before, I think it was actually one of my parents said, is you have to get out of your own way and let let it happen. You know, if the door if the door presents itself and smash it, go straight through it. Because, you know, that comes back to then limiting beliefs, mm-hmm. which is another thing is, you know, if you come from a certain place, then you might have a limiting belief that you, you shouldn't be in that position like that. And you have to be the person who breaks that mold if you're the per- first person in your family to do that. You know, it's a lot easier for somebody who comes from a, a place where life's been good, you know, to break through those doors because that's the standard of life that they're used to. 
But for somebody who hasn't come from that, you know, they have to work really hard. They really understand and believe that they they deserve it. Yeah, and yeah. that that's all part of, you know, that that needs time as well. And that's mm-hmm. why I like to see it happen over time, instead of saying to somebody, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, you have to you will then become rich. But it's more about do you want to do you want to generate wealth and do you want to have that in your life? But you you can't get that unless you look for it. Hey, you have to look for it. Mm. Um, it's not going to fall in your lap. Even people who won the lottery, you know, they might have been buying the lottery tickets for 30 years and they have tried to attract it in their life by buying lottery tickets so you have to, it is abundant you know it's money is everywhere and the world is run by money so if you want they have that unless you're willing to go out there and love off the grid where money is is irrelevant then you need money you know mm-hmm. it's up to you to decide how much you want and and the the outcomes that come from that but you have to believe that it's that it's there to be taken and you have to go after it yeah 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 like for me money it's an energy it's just an exchange and i truly believe that we are all worthy of abundance money wealth however you like to call it and i think for me it's like you just have to believe it's annoying and you have to embody that feeling and when you feel that way i think that you start taking the steps now it's not that it's going to come to you tomorrow but it's it's that you're living knowing that it's going to come and then every single day you're going to be taking the right step the shorter step and you every day every day you keep 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 taking the shortest path there it'll bring you to that place and that's where you will attract abundance I, i i agree with you um and i think that you know the first the very first point for anybody is they have to decide you know they have to decide do they want to attract it and be abundant or not um because you don't you don't it just doesn't happen for you for no reason you, know, you have to make that a choice um and it's a weird thing to say that because obviously people have their own their own environments and their own starting point but you know everybody can build from a certain starting point and that's why you know i think it's you know getting wealthy is grand getting people want to be wealthy yeah but i think that the way that it happens you know is a lot more beneficial for people the, the journey that they go on you know because they become different people um and that's why the come up stories of people who went from rags to riches are so good because they feel good. They make people feel good. Um, but that's, you know, it's, everybody can do it. You're right. I agree with you. Um, and that's why people like me are here. They try and help people just get on the path and then, you know, see what happens from there. Yep, yep, yep. Having this conversation makes me want to have another conversation with you, Ornie. <laughs> Thank you. That's lovely. That's a good we'll, call. Uh, we'll have to set another date, you know, mm-hmm. maybe good to catch up again. And, you know, I can see you're a very insightful guy to, to managing and becoming financially secure, you know. So I'm very grateful for that. You're very welcome. It was a great experience. Yeah, um, yeah. And we'll have good chats. Don't you, don't you worry about I'm, it. I'm sure it will. If you had three tips now for someone... Just three three pointers for people who just wanted to start out. What it could be anything? What would they be? Three good pointers. Uh, first one is get aware of your circumstances. Do the penny. Understand what you're earning and what you're spending, and how you're spending it. Um, and number two will be, you know, sacrifice. In some cases, can be good for you. And sometimes, if you don't sacrifice whatever you're doing, and not sacrificing, it's just not worth it. Even if it's a pair of shoes or a night out, sometimes it's just not worth it. You know, you'll get more out of 
that bit of sacrifice and you really think over the long term. And the third one is, um, you know, open open your mind and think bigger. You know, think big, think bigger about what you're trying to do because, you know, if you fall short of a big goal, then you've still went a lot further than if you had a small one. Mm-hmm. And that's purely just, you know, from a personal point of view. Yeah. Um, that's that's outside of actual money planning. That would yeah. be three three good pointers. Unless you want some money planning ones. <laughs> no, that's perfect there. I think no it's bother. a great start. That's the saying, reach for the stars and land on the clouds. That's it. Oren, thank you very much. It's been My an pleasure. absolute pleasure. Thank you I very much. I thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Cheers. And thank you. we will be in touch again. 100%. Good man, sir. Cheers. Thank you for listening. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. And as you can see, Oren is very invested in helping people become financially secure, putting their money into a property, whatever it is, so that you can become more stable and enjoy a more abundant life. So um, again, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. And I ask you to remember that you are the infinite creator.